power. Jesus said in this verse of Scripture, I must work the works of him that hath sent me while it is day, because night cometh when no man can work. He is saying, I have but a short time to do what I need to do. And this is what I want to share with the church tonight. I do want to preface this by saying, uh, maybe a little bit tagging on to Sunday night, but I do want to preface this by saying our time is very short. And I don't, I don't think that you have to look too hard. I don't, I don't think that you have to read too many newspapers. or I don't even know if anybody does that anymore. But you don't have to look at Fox News or CNN News. And you don't have to listen to the radio. And you don't have to turn on a TV news program to see that our time is very short. And we must work while it's still day. So I want to I talk to you for the next little while on this subject. Our time is now. Our time is now. I want you to turn to the three people around you and just look them in the face and say, our time is now. (laughs) You may be seated. Okay, so here's what I want to share with you. Pastor and I, along with um, a couple of our board members, our church board members, and several of the men in our church, were working at the campus on Tuesday, and uh, we were called into a meeting. Pastor called us into a meeting with two young men regarding some EFIS and siding work uh, on our new construction project. And there were two young Hispanic men, very nice gentlemen, and uh, I noticed one was a little bit on the young side, and uh, I noticed as the meeting was going on, he just was looking around at the building, just kind of, I mean, he was there, but he wasn't there, and he was looking at, at, at trying to describe where everything was going to go, and he's smiling real big and just, just kind of gawking at the building, if you will, and uh, I, I thought it was a, a little strange, but didn't think too much about it. And towards the end of the meeting, uh, he interrupted and he asked, Pastor, he said, so you must be pastor of the church. And he said, well, yes, I am. He, and he made a little joke and said, yeah, I can tell you have the authority around here. And uh, we, we just began to laugh and begin to uh, take that and run with it a little bit. And then he started sharing with us and he said, well, my dad pastors a church in Indianapolis. And so we, we, so we started asking him a little bit about his dad's church, and he shared a little bit with us. And then, Brother Jerry, he said something that really struck home with me. It caused me to stop and to think. And he, uh, speaking, I believe, well beyond his years, when he said, he looked at Pastor, and he said, I want to commend you, and I want to congratulate you. And Pastor said, well, well, why is that? He said, I want to commend you and your church, you for leading the charge and your church for catching the vision and for growing to the point that you need a new building when so many churches around us are closing their doors. And I, I've got to admit that I've heard people say things uh, to that nature before and they've said it to us. And they've said it to me. They've heard them say it to Pastor. 
but it seemed to, to strike a chord with me. And it, it really hit home uh, with me, uh, knowing that uh, he was noting a very real problem uh, that many churches, not only in our state, not only in our city, not only in our country, but around the world. So many churches are facing that very, that very thing. They're closing their doors by the droves because membership is declining. And I had to stop and I had to think for a minute. And I had to I admit I had to give God praise silently there for a minute that God... I want to thank you for blessing us. And I, I want to thank you because we're not facing the same problems that the church down the road may be facing. And we're not facing uh, having to figure out what we're going to do because we have a, a declining membership in our church. But we're having to figure out what we're going to do to house everybody and to, and to make enough room. I, I thank God that we have to sit out chairs across the back. Almost every Sunday, uh, Sunday morning and Sunday night. I, I thank God that we come into this building. And although it may be a little uncomfortable when it, we get full and it, maybe your, your personal space gets invaded a little bit. But I thank God that we have that problem, and our problem is not reversed. And we're not, we're not looking at closing our doors, but we're looking to the future and saying, God, I, I don't know how we're going to house them all, and I don't know how we're going to handle it, but I thank you, and I give you praise that you have given us this mighty blessing from the Lord. I think it's, I think it's a, a very, very, uh, a very sobering thought, and, and, and I, I want to pause for just a moment uh, and tell you that never has the church faced a greater challenge in its history. Never has there been a more crucial time for the church to step up to the plate and to face the challenge that is before us. The church, though, I do want to tell you, although it is a challenging time and it is maybe an uncertain time and we don't know how things are going to play out across the world. We don't know what's going to happen 30 days from now in an election and we don't, so much, so much bickering going on in the world and, and so much unrest and uncertainty. But I want to tell you tonight with all assurity that the church of the living God will prevail. You don't have to worry about the church. God will take care of His church. I don't care what's happening in the world. I don't care what the political scene may look like. And I, I don't care uh, what they may be doing down the road from us in a church. But this church, the church of the living God, will always prevail the test of time. It will always. I, I, want, brother, uh, I want Spencer, if you have that picture, I want you just... I, a sign that I, I ran across today in my preparation, I just thought I'd share it. First Baptist Church says, Closed until further notice due to declining attendance like 10,000 churches in 2015. I cannot imagine what that would feel like. 10,000 churches closing their doors in 2015. I want to share with you some staggering statistics that I hope uh, will open your eyes and open our eyes to the task that is before us or before the church. It is estimated that 3,500 people will leave churches every day this year. I'm not talking about leaving services and going home. 
I'm talking about walking away from churches all across our country. In 2014, a study by the National Black Robe Regiment indicated that 1.2 million people would be quitting church that year or quit church that year. In 2014, 1.2 million people. On average, between 4,000 and 7,000 churches close their doors every year across America, according to the Huffington Post. According to the Hartford Institute of uh, Religion Research, most American churches, I thank God that we don't have this problem, but most American churches have fewer have 80 or fewer worshipers walk in their door each and every week. And fewer than 45% of those churches have grown more. Listen to this. I shared this with my wife today. I was blown away. Fewer than 45% of those churches have grown more than 2% in the last five years combined. And if you're not real quick at math, which I was not, at 80 members, that would be a growth of approximately two members in five years. In 2015, as the sign already showed us, over 10,000 churches closed their doors, leaving their congregations with no place to worship. The Huffington Post, I refer to that again, uh, reports that more than 40% this struck a chord with me. Over 40, more than 40% of Americans say they attend church on a weekly basis. But as it turns out, less than 20% are actually ever in church. In other words, more than 80% of Americans are finding more fulfilling things to do on a weekend than attend church. When asked about the importance of church in their lives, 80% of millennials said that church wasn't at all important to them. Listen, it's time that the church wakes up and realizes the battle for the souls of men and women and young people, not only in our community and in our region, but across our country and our world that we are facing. It's a mighty big battle. This is not a training exercise, but we have been called into action. We are in a war, and the eternal destination of souls is what we are fighting for. Yes, we are fighting for the souls of our families and our loved ones, but we are also fighting for the souls of people whom we haven't even met yet, and for some, we may never meet. And our time is now. I've already stated it's not a, a training exercise, and we're not, we're, not, we're not just going through the motions thinking that someday we'll be in that kind of a fight. And we're not going through the motions and training and, and making preparations thinking that one day we may face this situation. But listen, ladies and gentlemen, that situation is right now. That battle that we have to fight is right now. And if we don't fight, who will stand and fight? If I don't fight and you don't fight, 
Who will stand and fight? We can say, we can say, well, I'll let somebody else take that battle. And I, I don't really want to, I don't really want to fight. I don't really want to go there. No, no. If you don't fight and I don't fight, then there is no one left to fight the battle. There is no one left to war for the souls that weigh in the balance of men and women and children and young people all across our nation and especially in our city and in our region that are dying, lost every day. And there is nobody to take them the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ if it is not you and I that take them the message. I don't know if you feel what I feel tonight. Now, I don't know. I've been studying this this week, and I know that, that you have it. And maybe it's a little more real to me tonight than it is to you. And, and, and if so, pardon my, uh, pardon, pardon my emotions tonight. Pardon the way that I feel. But I, I feel, I sense an urgency in the Spirit, and I sense an urgency among the apostolic church here in, at the end of 2016. And I, I say that if we are losing churches as a whole at that rate, what's going to happen in 2017 and what's going to happen in 2018? Although every other denomination seems to be on a decline, I do want to tell you that the apostolic church is on an incline. We're adding churches at a very rapid rate and we're spreading this gospel all across the world like the Great Commission has told us to do. I think it's great. I think I, I come up here to the church the other week and I, I walked in the uh, fellowship hall and I had to quickly walk out because I saw that, uh, that Brother Alfonso Suarez had a group of people over there and he was teaching a Bible study. I thank God for men like Brother Suarez that will just go ahead and answer the call, that will go ahead and say, I'll stand and fight. I'll, I'll teach a Bible study. I'll, I'll, invite, I'll evangelize my world. I'll invite somebody to church and tell them the good things of the Lord. I thank God for men and women that stand, that go. I thank God for our missionaries that leave a life of leisure here in the United States. And, and they leave their families and their, their kids may be uh, a little older and they have to pull them out of school and they answer a call because God's calling them to a country halfway around the world and they just drop everything and they go to propel the gospel across the face of the globe. I thank God for our missionaries. I thank God for our church planners that will leave a church and they will go into a community where they don't know anybody. They don't, they don't have family and they don't know anybody. They, don't, they go in and not, not have having anybody lined out to be at their first service, but they go and they answer the call and they'll say, I'll go to that region. I'll go to that city. I'll go to that town and I'll start a church. And, and where there was no church, I'll, I'll make sure that the gospel is preached in that. That's what I'm talking about tonight. It's, we, we so many times want to leave it up to someone else to go. We want to leave it up to someone else to teach a Bible study. We want to leave it up to someone else to evangelize our community but listen, it, the time is too short to wait for somebody else to pick up the baton and carry it on. But the responsibility falls on my shoulders and it falls on your shoulders tonight. And if we don't pick up the baton, who will? I read, 
I think I've shared this with you, but I heard someone say, and this is very sobering, that this apostolic message, one this apostolic message, is just one generation away from extinction. One generation, and I look, I got to thinking about that today, and I got to weeping because I look, and I begin to examine, and I see, I thought my, my, my first thought went to my grandfather, who's gone, an elder in, in your lives, and, and an elder in my life, has gone off the scene, has gone on to his reward, and I look, I was at General Conference a couple weeks ago, and I looked at these men that I've looked up to and I've heard preach the gospel and they are, they're revivalists and they, they, they are doing everything that they can to evangelize their city. And I look, Brother Tapia, and I see that they're getting up in age and, and they're, they're quick, soon, if God doesn't intervene, they're soon to, to, to step off the scene. And I get to thinking about, well, I, I'm, I'm 40 years old and I, I'm, I'm quickly becoming that generation that I have looked to my entire life that I've said, well, if anybody can do it, they can do it. If anybody can preach this gospel and stay true to the apostolic message, then they can stay true to the apostolic message. And I think that I am now that age and I am now part of that generation that I've been looking to. And I say, God, help me. God, I feel the weight of, of what you have placed on my shoulder. And I think that every person in this building tonight ought to feel the weight that has been placed on our shoulders with our elders stepping off the scene. There is someone has got to step step up to the challenge and say, I, I, I'm not going to wait for somebody else to pick that up. I'm not going to wait for someone else to carry on where they have left off. But someone's going to have to stand and make up in your mind that I am going to be that person that's going to stand up and is going to carry on what our elders have passed down to us. You call that just recently having a birthday and feeling old, whatever you want to call that. But I feel that way. I feel that way. I saw, I turned around in service at, at um, General Conference and I saw Pastor Anthony Mangan sitting back behind me who has been a giant in our movement, who is a, one of the most passionate preachers that I've ever seen in my entire life. He is a soul winner extraordinaire. He is a Bible study teacher. When they knock doors in their city in Alexandria, Louisiana, he's out there knocking the doors with them. He pastors a church of over 2,000 people. He's got people to knock doors, but he feels the responsibility. But I turned around, Brother Tapia, and I see now he is up in his 60s, 66, 67 years old. And when I looked at him, and I looked looked at this man who has who is getting on in years i feel the weight of the responsibility that is laid before us we can say well somebody else will well someone else may but then again someone else may not and we can say well i'll let somebody else do it and we can go on and we are so near to the coming of the lord the lord could come at that moment when we have just neglected the responsibility that's been placed on us, waiting for somebody else to pick it up when nobody else did pick it up. And then at that moment, whose hands are their blood on? I'm talking about, you may say, well, this is kind of heavy for a Wednesday night. Well, I, I, I apologize for that, but I... I can't help but what I feel tonight. 
I look at our city and I will admit to you, I'll be the first to admit to you that I have not done everything that I could do. And I think that we can all look at ourselves and say, none of us has done everything that we can do to help win our city. We haven't all done what we can do to ensure that Clinton County, all of Clinton County hears this apostolic message. Now's the time. We can sit here and say, well, I, I, I've, I've neglected my responsibility and I, I've failed in this area. And we can get down on ourselves. And we can talk ourselves out of going on from here by saying, well, if I failed this time, then most likely I'll fail next time. And we can go on with that mentality. And guess what? We will fail. If we have that thought process and we have that mentality, then we will fail. We will fall short of where God wants us to be. But if we'll just pick up this message and if we'll just pick up this baton and we'll accept the, the, the um, awesome responsibility that falls on our shoulders, if we'll just accept that and say, I know that I failed. I know that I haven't done everything that I can do. But from this moment on, I'm declaring that I'm going to do everything that I can do. I'm going to tell everybody that I can tell. And I'm going to win as many souls for the kingdom as I can win in my lifetime. Now is the time. We talk about it. We've talked about it. I've heard it all my life that there would be a time towards the coming of the Lord when God's Spirit would be poured out upon all flesh. And I heard about the latter day outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Heard it preached my entire life. But guess what? Now is the time. Now is the time for the outpouring, the mighty outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Now is the time for the latter-day revival that I've heard preached my entire life. If it wasn't back then, if it wasn't 20 years ago, if it wasn't 25 years ago, then it must be today. Look around you people. Look around you, ladies and gentlemen. Look at the shape that the world is in. Look at the statistics, the churches that are closing all around us. We are living in the last days. Living. The Bible says that in the last days, the heart of many would wax cold. They would turn from God. They would turn their backs on God. They would, they would search out their own path to salvation. And they, we've got some crazy uh, religions and crazy doctrines that are going on all across this globe. And the Bible talks about it as being part of the last day. Folks, we are living in the last days. But the gentry preached about the warning, the trumpet of the watchman on Sunday night. And he preached us on our face. And many of us, if you were like me, we had to do some repenting. We had to do some repenting that we haven't sounded the alarm like we should have. And we haven't done everything that we could do. But now is the time to step up to the plate. And to be everything that God has caused us or has called us to be. We are in a war 
and the eternal destination of souls are what we are fighting for. Military strategies all revolve around timing. They are very strategically uh, built around the proper timing. There are defense strategies, and I looked some of these up uh, in my preparation, that are meant to protect military units and military interests. And these are defensive moves that have their place at the right time. There are times when one must withdraw and retreat from battle. This is a retreat of forces. To withdraw is a retreat retreat of forces while maintaining contact with the enemy. There is a time and a place for that. But there are also offensive strategies that are meant to wear down enemy defenses in order to gain the upper hand with the proverbial shock and awe defense. There are times when you've got to go at the enemy with overwhelming power. There are times that you've got to throw everything that you've got in the face of the enemy. And what I want to tell you tonight, that the same is true with the church. Timing is everything. Timing is crucial as it pertains to the church. The church goes through seasons of ups and downs. And it's easy to, when we're riding the wave up and we're, we're getting close to the mountaintop and everything is good and we're bouncing off the walls here on a Sunday night and, and we're seeing mighty moves of God and miracles are taking place and people are being raised from the dead and deaf ears are being opened. It's easy to ride that kind of wave. But the minute that we start down the backside of the wave, then suddenly people want to jump ship. We have to know when to go in defensive mode. But just the same, we must recognize when it's time for us to go on the offensive with overwhelming shock, shock and all power. And it's time for the church to attack with that same shock and all power. It's time for the church to step out on the battlefield with overwhelming force. It's time for the church to stand in the face of adversity. It's time for the church to stand in rough times where it's uncertain. We don't know what's going to happen. And it's time for the church to go out on the battlefield and to fight with everything that we've got. This is for keeps. This is not pretend. This is not just a drill or or a practice run, but this thing is for real. But what I want to tell you, that as soon as we, as sure as we stand on the battlefield, and as sure as we fight the enemy, the church of the living God will be victorious. You don't have to wonder and worry. Well, will the church survive the attack of the enemy? I tell you with all certainty tonight that the church will stand the test 
of time. There is no enemy, there's no devil in hell that can be victorious against the church of the living God. You bring every attack against the church that you want to bring, you stand in opposition of the church or you want to stand in opposition but the church, then God will have the last word and you will find yourself just like the enemy, standing on the battlefield with bodies, with, with, with people laying all around them defeated at the attack of the church of the living God. Yes, the church has been bruised. Yes, she has been rocked back on her heels. And this church has been rocked back on her heels. Yes, she has even been knocked down to her knees. But there's one thing about the church. She has always gotten back up to fight on. The church has always survived to fight another day. The Bible tells us that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. The Bible also tells us if God be for us, then who can be against us? And I say it like this. If God be for the church, then who can stand up against the church? If God be for the church, then who can knock the church down on her knees to where she won't get back up again? But the church will always be victorious. Stay part of the church. Stay close to the church. Stay stay a part of the church and you will be victorious. Hallelujah. Our late bishop posed perhaps one of the most powerful phrases that I have ever heard in my life. When on a recording, he uttered these words. If we stay here, then we'll die. If we stay here, then we'll die. So many in our churches have taken on a defensive mentality. And I want to I want to preface that. So many in our churches have taken on the mentality of let's just protect what we've got. Let's just let's just stay like we are. Let's just let's just stay grounded in the same location with the same handful of people. And let's just be defensive about it and let's just fight for the church and if anybody ever comes in and tries to shake things up, then we'll, we'll just run them off and we'll say, you can just go on down the road and you can find another church because we, we like our church just the way that it is and we just like our services like they are and we want to come to church week in and week out and we want to sing our songs and we want to have our prayer requests and we want to take up our offering and we want to hear a sermon that will tickle our ears but then we want to just leave it at church and we want to walk out the door and just go on and live our life. And we just want the church to be like it's always been. And we just want it to be like it always was. And so many have taken on that same defensive mentality. And it's just about 
our few and it's about our four and no more. And we just, we just want things the way that they are. We like things the way that they are. Preacher, don't preach a message that will, that will cause us to fall on our face. And don't, don't, don't preach me a message where I'm going to have to feel guilty and repent. And I'm, it's going to call me to any kind of change. Preacher, we don't want that. And don't bring any evangelist in that's going to preach those kinds of messages. I'm talking about a defensive mentality. I'm talking about churches all across the world that have adopted a defensive mentality. And those are the very churches that are closing their doors left and right and their their members are going to have to find another place to attend and another church to go to. The defensive mentality is just protect what we've got. But I want to tell you tonight, I want to tell the church, I want to tell CLC tonight that battles and wars are not won on defense only. There's no country that's going to ever go to war with a defensive strategy only. They're not just going to set up troops to protect their installations and just to protect their leaders and just to protect their government. They're going to do that, but then they're also going to launch an offensive war campaign. And they're going to attack the enemy with everything that they've got because they know that a war will never be won with defensive strategies only. If we are ever going to prevail over the enemy. We're going to have to go on the offensive like we've never gone on the offensive before. Our time, yes, it is short. And it dictates us to use force. It dictates that we use powerful force. It's going to take men and women and young people and, yes, even children that will be willing to get out on the battlefield. It's going to take men and women and young people that are not content to sit on the sidelines and to see everything that our our elders have given their lives for and they have fought for. And they're not going to be content with standing on the sidelines and seeing everything that they've passed down to us taken out by the attack of the enemy. But it's going to take someone that is willing to get off the sidelines and get Get on the battlefield and fight. It's going to take someone who's willing to teach a home Bible study. It's going to take someone who will be committed to personal evangelism. If one can put a thousand to flight and two can put ten thousand to flight, what would happen if we all adapted an offensive mentality? I'll tell you what would happen. There is no enemy in hell and there is no force that could ever come against us and defeat us if we stand unified willing saying I'll fight with your brother I'll fight with your sister come on let's get on the battlefield let's fight because there are some things in this life and some things in this church that are worth fighting for you can say well that's fine Pastor Danny that you know you have something you, you have roots here. Yes, your grandfather started this church, and it is very near and dear to you. Yes, 
That is all true. It is near and dear to me. But it goes beyond the four walls of this church. It is, I'm talking about the church of the living God. I'm talking about the oneness apostolic movement. I'm talking about, I'm talking about the revelation of one God. I'm talking about baptism in Jesus' name. And I'm talking about the infilling of the Holy Ghost with the initial evidence of speaking in other tongues. There are some things that are worth fighting for. Someone told me one time, and it was kind of a, it's one of the neatest analogies, Brother Tapia, that I, I think I've ever heard. They said, they were referring to our, our separation stance, our, our holiness stance, our, our, our holiness doctrine. And they said to me that. The holiness doctrine, our holiness standards were never meant to be our treasure. But they are in place to protect the most precious of treasures. And I thought that was so, so well put. So many, they just, they just build their churches on what you can and what you can't do. And that will never work if, it, if, if your relationship with God is just built on what you can and what you can't do. If it's, if it's always, well, I can't go there and I, I can't do that. I'd really like to have some leeway in life. If that's all you're concerned about, then you aren't ever going to make it. But if it comes to the, to the point where you say, I, I understand. I, I understand there's some places that I don't go and there's some things that we just don't do. And no, I may not, I may not understand all of it, but I do. You know this, that those are safeguards that are put there to protect what's on the inside of me. I do that. I separate myself. I, I don't do things because I want to protect what has been passed down to me. I want to protect that treasure that God has given to me. And I want to protect this doctrine. I want to protect this Word of God that has been passed down to me. There's some things that are worth fighting for, folks. There's some things that are important enough to fight for. I'm drawing to a close tonight. The battle of Jericho was a battle that could only be won on the offense. Joshua, you know the story. Joshua sent spies to Jericho, the first city of Canaan, to be taken once they crossed into the promised land and discovered that the land was in fear of Israel and their God. The Israelites marched around the walls of Jericho once a day. And on the seventh day, with the priest and the Ark of the Covenant, they were to march around the walls seven times in silence. They were to just go about their business. They were to march around the walls Camp that city. I don't know, I'm not sure how big Jericho was, but I'm sure it wasn't a, a seven lap trip that took about 30 minutes. But they got out there and they marched around the walls of Jericho. And on the seventh time, they were instructed that when you, you start that seventh lap, you are to cry with a loud voice and you are to blow the trumpet and you are to shout for the victory because God has given you 
this city. And we all know what happened on that seventh time when they begin to shout and when they begin to blow the trumpet that the walls around the city of Jericho were shaken at the very core to the point that the walls begin to crumble and they collapsed and the children of Israel took what God had promised them. But the Israelites could never have conquered Jericho had they not been willing to fight. Many, hear me tonight, many want the benefits that come along with winning the battle. They want the recognition and the accolades, but they don't want to fight for it. They want to be patted on the back and say, what a nice job you did. But they don't want to get their hands bloody in battle. See, Jesus even said, my house is full, but my fields are empty. Let me say it like this. The sidelines are full of people who want to tell everybody else how to play the game. There aren't enough players on the field to win the game. The time for the church to go to battle is now. Let this serve as your battle cry. The time for us to battle, the time for us to fight is now. It's not a year from now. It's not five years from now. It's not a month from now. But it is right now. We've been giving, given everything that we need to be victorious, and we will prevail because our time is now. No one person can do it by themselves. The task is far too great. But it's all about timing. You see, professional athletes are a different breed I used to use this, by the way. Used to. A long time ago, with Andrew, I used to be able to catch a ball. I don't know if I can anymore. Probably not. Thank you for the confidence. I appreciate it. <laughs> you see, professional athletes are not like everybody else. You know, very few kids that play Little League ever make it to the big leagues. Because... The big boys that make it to professional baseball, I'm using baseball as an analogy because I used to play it, but they're the best of the best. They're not like everybody else. They're not like the guys. They're not just as good as the guys in college, but they're the, the cream of the crop that has risen to the top. They're the they're, they're most athletically gifted people. Not only are they athletically gifted, but they know the game inside and out. They know what it takes to win. They know the dedication that it takes to be the best. They know that a World Series is not won in 10 games. They know it's a long road to even get from a Little League baseball field to a big league stadium. But they're the most gifted. They know the, game's forward. they know the game forward and backwards, and they're fundamentally 
sound, which means they know the fundamentals of the game better than everybody else. They know how to play the game. And it's more than throwing a ball. It's more than just catching a ball. It's more than hitting a ball. But there's a strategy to the game. I know you think that they pitch the ball and they hit it and they run around the bases and whatever happens, happens. There's, that's, not, that's not the case. There's a strategy to every game. There's a strategy to the entire season. So they're the best of the best, and they, they know the game forwards and backwards. But those that do make it, the very few that make it, Brother Jerry, they know it's not a one-man show. I know somebody sitting back there that used to have more hair than he has now that used to say it's not how you play the game, it's how good you look. <laughs> well, Brother Jason, that's not true. <laughs> you do want to look good. I mean, let's just be honest about it. I'll never forget that, by the way. But they know it's not a one-man show. But they, one man, though he can cover his position and he can cover his territory. And I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you about the outfield because that's what I used to play. I used to be able to run 20 years ago. Um, I used to play left field, and, I, and one man can cover left field. You're going to run a lot, but you can cover left field. But no one man can cover his position and everybody else's position at the same time. So he knows that it's not just about him, but he knows that he's a piece of the puzzle and that he fits strategically in place. And he has a job to do, and that job is to cover that one area of real estate. He plays his position no matter how uneventful and no matter how boring that game may be. I remember playing baseball growing up, and I remember watching birds in the sky because nobody was hitting me a ball. And I remember thinking, Lord, if you just get me out of this game, I'll never play again. But no matter how boring and how uneventful the game is, that player, his focus is on that game and his role within that game. Although everybody else may be getting all the action, and he may not be catching a ball all day, he's ready, waiting, should anything come his way because he's part of the entire team. And when that ball is hit in the left field, suddenly responsibility rests upon the shoulders of that left fielder because now he's more than just part of the team, but he's been called upon. And it's his responsibility to catch that ball his responsibility, if that ball comes at him on the ground, Brother Jason, I still remember this, and there's a runner on first, his responsibility is to get the ball off the ground as quickly as possible and hit his cutoff guy. So that runner can't advance any further than possible. 
that responsibility that now weighs on his shoulder because he has been thrust into action is very palpable. He knows that he's part of a team, and he knows that the entire team does not rest upon his shoulder. But at that moment that that ball is hit to him, there's nobody else on that field that has the responsibility that that left fielder has because the ball has been hit into his position. And making that catch or making sure that he hits that cutoff man may be crucial in how the remainder of that game will unfold. His actions, when called upon, may just affect the outcome of the entire game. Each player must be focused in and or engaged in rather and focused on the game or the task that is set before him. When a win or a loss just might come down to a single player. Let me bring it home to you real quick in just the next couple of minutes. It just might be that you are the only chance of salvation that someone may ever have. It just might be that the only Jesus that someone will ever know is the Jesus that they see in you. Yes, this is a team sport. We're talking about the church. The church does not rise or fall on one person. But the Bible tells us that the church is made up of many members. And if one member fails, or if one member is cut off, then the church feels extra weight and extra responsibility. No, a church doesn't fall on one man or one woman. But it sure is noticed if one man or one woman is missing. If one man or one woman is not fulfilling the role that they have been placed in within the church. And it does matter if that person fails or not because of the people that you are in contact with every day. The people that God sends your way so that you can tell them, that you can witness to them, that you can share the gospel with them. John 4 and 9, we've already read it. Jesus identifies that he and his disciples have a mission. There is before them a man that has been blind from his birth. And they prepare, they must prepare themselves for the task at hand. If we go back to the end of chapter 8, we read where Jesus is fleeing the temple because his enemies have picked up stones hoping to stone him, wanting to put him to death. And so he, he leaves the temple and he begins to walk down the road. I don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us how far he went down the road before he encountered the blind man. It doesn't tell us that he didn't uh, encounter that man even at the gate of the temple. But all we know is that he encountered this man who was, who was blind from his birth. Their paths cross at an instant, 
And his disciples begin to ask him, Who sinned to cause this man's blindness? Was it his parents or was it he himself? But Jesus answered them and said, Neither he nor his parents have sinned, but that the works of God might be manifest in him. And we pick up John chapter 9 and verse 4 when he says, I must work the works of him that sent me. While it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. I can imagine as he's saying these words, the sun is sinking in the western sky. And he may have reminded Jesus that the day was passing away. And that night was quickly approaching. He was reminded of the day of life and the night of death because it was not too long after this scripture is recorded that we find Jesus being hung on a cross. What he is saying was, to his disciples, what he was saying was, I know that my time here is short. I know that I have just a little while And I know that I'm going to fulfill the Scripture. And I know that I'm going to be led to a cross. And I'm going to be the Lamb for sinners slain. And I know that it's not too much longer that I'm not going to be able to walk around here with you. And I'm not going to be able to do the things that I'm doing right now. So why it's still day and what he was saying and why I'm still here with you. We have a lot of work to accomplish. We've got a lot of things that we can do that we've got to do because I'm here and it's daytime. But nighttime or my death, the death to this earthly body is quickly approaching. And you're soon going to be at night where no man can work. And when I cannot be here with you to do these things. He realizes that his time is coming to an end. And I close with this. You see, when the day of opportunity passes, it is never to return again. When this day is done, I can't recall this day. I can't bring it back, no matter how bad I wish I could. When I, I miss that opportunity today, Brother Jerry, I can't do anything about it tomorrow. Oh, I can go in search of new opportunities. I I, I can go in search of someone else. And I can pray that God allow my path to cross somebody else. But I can't go back and fix that missed opportunity. I can't go back and fix the fact that I stayed silent. That I I didn't speak up. I didn't. I didn't say, I'll pray for you today, or I, I didn't say, well, why don't you come to my church? I know that you're hurting. I know that you're in need, and I think that we can help you. I cannot recall today. I can't recall this moment. There are no do-overs in life. Life is full of people that have regrets and They wish they could go back and do it over again. And they wish they could go back and make things right. And they wish they could go back and 
do things differently, but the truth of the matter is we can't. And so that's why every opportunity is so important. Because when that trumpet blows and we're called into eternity, we can't come back and do life all over again. And when we stand before God and He begins to read an account, as that book is open in front of us, and not the baseball glove, but the book, and He begins to read the account and He says, well, you did good here. Well done. But here, October 10th, 2016, I sent somebody your way, but you failed me. You, you, you failed in that area. And at that moment, we'll wish that we could go back and have that opportunity again. But the clock of eternity has already been set in motion. That's why it's so important that we act now as individuals, as a church, as a corporate body. That's why it's so important that our time is now. Brother Gentry said so capably on Sunday, we're not promised tomorrow. We don't know that God's not going to call us home tonight. And so I ask you a question, did you do everything today that you could? I asked me a question, did I do everything today that I could? Did I, did I fight for a soul today? Did I spend time in prayer for a backslider today? Did I reach out to somebody today? Because the truth of the matter is, is when I lay, down my head, lay my head down on a pillow tonight, I don't know that I'm going to wake up in the morning. I don't know that I'm going to have another opportunity. I don't know that I'm going to get to talk to another person. I don't know that I'm going to get a chance to witness to one more person. I don't know that I'm going to get a chance to teach another home Bible study. I don't know that I'm even going to have a chance to come into this sanctuary and worship with all of you again. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what it holds for me, and I certainly don't know what it holds for you. But I'm going to tell you this one thing. I'm going to fight while it's still, I'm going to work while it's still day. I'm going to fight as long as there is a battle to fight. As long as there are lost souls that are going into, turn, into eternity day after day after day. That means that there is work for us to do. There's work for us to do individually. And there's work for us to do as a corporate body. There's so much work for CLC to do in this community. It doesn't stop with a new building on 28. It doesn't stop when we have our first service in that building. We can't say, oh, look what we've done for the kingdom of God. We built this building. That's just a building. It has no significance in the kingdom of God. But I'm talking about the church. I'm talking about the body of the, of the living God. I'm talking about who is gathered in this place tonight. As long as there are lost souls, there is so much work for us to do. So who will work while it's day? Are you going to stay on the sidelines? Are you going to tell everybody you're going to be an armchair quarterback? 
Tell everybody what they ought to do. Tell everybody how they ought to do it and why they ought to do it and every reason why they should listen to your way and not do what they know that they need to do. Are you just going to be on the sideline giving everybody a hard time or are you going to get up from where you're at? Get on, on the field. Join in the game. Listen, there's so much work. Pastor can't do it all. Come on, ministry leaders can't do it all. They can't win every person. They can't talk to every person. They can't witness to every person. That's where we come in. There's so much work for us to do. And it is beginning to, the sun is beginning to set in the horizon. Night is quickly approaching and the day is almost done. Stand with me tonight. We must work while it's day because night quickly approacheth. In our window of opportunity, listen, when night falls, our window of opportunity will forever vanish. We've got to work while it's day. We've got to fight while we can still fight. We've got to battle. We've got to war while we can still fight while it's day. Would you just lift your hands where you're at and just ask God to help you tonight?